0: Hello, good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. I am very pleased to uh, start this uh, podcast uh, of our uh, newsletter, Cantus. Uh, is a, a newsletter that you can find at uh, uh, cantus.substack.com that includes articles, musical scores, and also podcasts. And this is one of them. And today we are talking about uh, something that is really, uh, I think, uh, uh, maybe strange for some of you because uh, you don't heard a lot about uh, this composer. And uh, so uh, I'm talking about uh, Carlo Gesualdo, Prince of Venosa, that is uh, indeed one of the most famous and also mysterious composers in Renaissance time for several reasons that we will, of course, explain during this podcast. A podcast where I am joined by my friend Jeffrey Lavenberg, that is a musicologist and a former uh, musicology professor in uh, Chinese University of Hong Kong, where, of course, I met him, and uh, we will discuss about that. And he is joining us from New York. So thank you very much, Jeffrey, for participating.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, uh, Jeffrey, maybe uh, you, uh, before we we, we introduce... Uh, the topic. Maybe you, you want to say something about yourself for our listeners that maybe are not familiar with your work.
1: Oh, sure. Thank you. Well, as you say, I'm a musicologist and I'm broadly interested in music history, which brought me to Hong Kong, in particular to work on the famed Jesuit missions to China. And I've done some publishing and research on the topic of Chinese and Western relations in music history, but I also have a particular interest in the Renaissance and the music of Carlo Gisualdo in particular. So I'm looking forward to discussing uh, this topic and uh, the broader history of uh, sacred music with you.
0: Yes, so uh, we we call this podcast Uh, the Prince of Music, or or maybe uh, would be better called the Prince of Musicians, because uh, this is how he was called. But uh, um, for him, uh, it's different uh, as in the case of Palestrina. Now, Palestrina also was called the Prince of Music, but that was uh, a kind of uh, uh, honorary title. But in the case of uh, Gesualdo, he was really a prince. Mm. Uh, He he was really coming from uh, a noble family and is one of the very few cases of uh, um, members of nobility that also became a quite important uh, um, protagonist of the music history.
1: Yes, that's correct. And to make an even finer distinction, because Gesualdo is commonly known Uh, as a prince, a musician, even a murderer in some contexts, but he was fundamentally, as you say, a prince. But what my research, along with many others recently, has been to add an additional qualification, and that is to emphasize that he was first and foremost a Christian prince. That is to say he was not a prince in the sense of Machiavelli who would separate, dare separate, religion, and the state. Giswaldo was born into a family that literally had archbishops, even a soon-to-be canonized saint. And therefore, when we speak of Giswaldo as the prince of musicians, I would like to underscore, emphasize that he was first and foremost a Christian prince, or as some of my future publications coming out are going to call into question, well, how Christian was he? actually.
0: Yeah, but uh, having said that, uh, we we cannot deny that his life uh, was quite uh, tumultuous or adventurous. I don't know how to define it, because indeed uh, he was uh, not only involved in the murder of his uh, uh, first wife, uh, Maria uh, Davalos, but also with his second wife, uh, the the life uh, was not so I mean, so so happy it seems, and also he he he, he loses uh, his uh, child. So uh, I mean, he has a lot of uh, things that uh, make his life, uh, I have to say, uh, from a Christian point of view, at least uh, questionable.
1: Ah, yes, and indeed, and that's one question I'd like to ask in my upcoming article, which will be published at at Cambridge Press. Uh, I asked a question, um, taking as a basis point, the common uh, words we use to describe Giswaldo is, we call him a murderer oftentimes, but as Annabelle Colliano and some other scholars recently have taken issue with that saying, It's not really correct to speak of him as a murderer because to commit that crime, as we might think of it nowadays, well, it was actually legal according to law then, shocking though it may be. But the question really is, by killing his first wife, was Gisualdo actually a Christian? How could a Christian commit such a crime, or as we would nowadays say, a crime of honor, a crime of passion, a delitto de nore, it seems almost implausible that he could do it. And therefore, there is a really traumatic experience where there's this vacillation and opposition, as it were, between killing somebody as a prince who has the right, almost the divine right, we might say, and somebody who has very deep concerns about the uh you know about breaking the fifth commandment let me ask you a question if i may
0: wait yes of course
1: okay say for example that you were to by some unfortunate happenstance encounter your loved one in an affair with another man now according to law today you cannot them. In Gesualdo's time, you could, so long as you caught them in the action. But just because the law says you could, how would you feel about doing such a thing, killing a family member as a Christian, as the organista at a, a major church in, in Roma? How would you feel? Could you bring yes, yourself so, uh, to do it?
0: And that is a very interesting question. And uh, we, we probably have to specify to our listener that uh, Gesualdo killed uh, the wife because she has, she had a lover. So this is uh, the, the reason of the killing. And if I have to answer, uh, what I can tell you is that of course it's very difficult to judge today things that happen with the mentality of uh, four centuries ago. But still, uh, we know that for a Christian killing, um, uh, yes, w- whatever I- is the reason uh, is uh, also something sinful. You may say, but uh, you know that uh, a Christian kill when they go to war. And this is true. And in that case, uh, is not considered a sin. But um, killing uh, your own wife, uh, uh, I don't know, because even in, in the gospel, Jesus says, that uh, uh, you know uh, you have not to separate uh, from your wife uh, uh, only in the case of uh, adultery. so but you say that you can separate, you know you can kill uh, you can kill her. So uh, I know I understand that it's complicated to to give an answer because as I say it's very difficult to judge. and I know that what you say is true that for someone, In his own position that has also a family tradition burden to carry, Uh, he was uh, uh, quite uh, forced to to take a strong action if something of that magnitude uh, happened to him. So uh, I'm not judging uh, Gesualdo, but of course I mean, it's like Caravaggio, no? you know, he still he, he, they kill someone. So, I mean, it's not not all artists were entitled to kill other people. And they uh, I mean, it's something that make us think.
1: Indeed, I think that you're explaining it very well, because when we have to think about this, our mind is just going back and forth, trying to reconcile. How somebody could do such a thing when there seems to me to be a real conflict of powers. Um, but what I've come to see differently in Giswaldo's Delitto de Nore, if we can still call it a, a so called honor killing today, is I, while I was kind of cooped up, locked up in Hong Kong, so to say, while we're dealing with the pandemic, I had a seemingly crazy idea. Giswaldo as you know, composed a lot of sacred music, responsories for the lessons of Holy Week, and also a lot of uh, Marian devotions, Sacra Cantiones. Cantiones. When we study his Musica Sacra, it's natural to uh, inquire how his sacred music fits within the liturgy and how it fits within the broader service of the church. I got this crazy idea, I hope it's not too crazy, but perhaps you and your listeners, readers and those that adjudicate my publications will, you know, take issue with. I had the idea that we should actually check the liturgical context of the day or the night in which he killed his wife and her lover and to see what precisely the church was reading in its lessons, uh, what it was singing in terms of its sacred music, what may have been performed that day in Napoli. And the results, if my calculations of the 400-some years ago are correct, are pretty striking because, according to my calculations, Giswaldo killed his wife and her lover on the day in which the church, the Roman church, that is, read one of the few lessons that sanctions or describes and allows a vendetta killing of a princess and her husband. And coincidentally, the musicians at their wedding are slaughtered as well. So it's a very musical lesson. I won't give it away, but one thing that's really troubling me about Giswaldo is how somebody could possibly be so conflicted about killing that they would try to time the killing such that the Christian church might actually justify it, to put them at ease, as it were, to, as you so eloquently put it, to somehow rationalize for them the fact that, yes, they're committing a sin but it's also one of the exceptions to the commandment, Thou shalt not kill, and that's what I'm finding so troubling about giswaldo
0: but also there is i think another side i mean i I want to uh, I want to um, uh, remind with you something that uh, uh, of my past when I was uh, uh, studying in the in the Pontifical Institute of Sacred Music, where I follow some courses, I remember that uh, I uh, sing with the choir, and uh, we usually we sing like uh, uh, Palestrina, Victoria, L- Lasso. Uh, I mean, all these very, uh, I mean, uh, co- uh, mainstream Renaissance composers. Uh, I mean, you, you can define them. Uh, we we didn't see a, a lot of. Uh, like the English school, like Bird or Talis, because we were seeing more the Roman, you know, like the one that I mentioned. But I remember one day uh, someone brought a piece, and maybe it was a, a responsory, or I don't know, of Giswaldo da And I remember that we all were very uh, surprised, we may say, uh, because it was so different uh, from. Uh, Uh, the other things we were singing. And uh, uh, in a certain way, it it also sounds a kind of out of place in the kind of idea we have of Renaissance music. So I think one of the elements that uh, add more interest, uh, if you want to call it, on the the character that was Gesualdo, was also that his music sound, if you allow me this term, weird. You know, weird respect the other Renaissance music we are used to listen. Uh, so uh, the, don't, don't you feel that is also maybe this one of the reasons that, that also, uh, why also other composer like, uh, I don't know, Stravinsky, for example, uh, became interested in uh, Gesualdo or... Or, or, or other.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think you put it very well. And I would invite uh, your listeners who perhaps, if they have not heard the music of Giswaldo before, to just give it a try online because that first impression is so astonishing. I remember the first time my teachers at the conservatory introduced me to Giswaldo's music and the infamous story of his. Life and works. And you're you're absolutely right. It not only just sounds weird, it actually, you know, just makes your draw your jaw drop or your face kind of, you know, squinch together at the sheer sound and morbidity of his music. And it's something that speaks to us to this very day. And I guess that's what makes it so fascinating that it's able to. Continue to make that impression, even though this is, you know, now 400 some years later, long after Wagner, long after Schoenberg, long after Verez, et cetera, et cetera. And it just has that amazing impact on us. Um, but we cannot forget at the same time that there is a possibility that no matter how weird his music may sound to us, it's possible that it is. Still part of the tradition, Giswaldo, after all, by some accounts and theories studied with uh, Giovanni de Maqua, who was trained in the Roman Palestinian style and yeah, some, some other people he's very some, traditional
0: some other people uh, say that he studied with uh, also with the Pomponio Nenna.
1: Ah, yes uh, that is
0: another uh, popular uh, composer uh, and certainly of course uh, he, he 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 was uh, uh, a skilled composer, a composer, but uh, it's only that uh, his music sounds uh, so uh, uh, out of the context of the other Renaissance music. You know, when, when I sing it, I remember, because I didn't sing um, a lot of his music, I have to say frankly, but uh, when I sing his music, uh, me and the other, uh, we have all, all, all the same impression. I mean, there were discord. That you don't expect to hear in a Renaissance piece, and and also I, I have uh, um, maybe is my thought, and maybe you can disagree with me, but uh, for example, one of the, his most famous uh, um, um, sacred uh, pe- uh, sacred uh, collection are the uh, responsories for the Holy Week, you know? and uh, of course we know that the text for the responsories, are so dense and so uh, rich of uh, drama. We, we, we may say really drama, a r- religious drama. You know, he, he talks about the tenebre fatte sunt, you know? I mean, all these texts. So I, I think that uh, probably Giswaldo have chosen to uh, put in music these pieces because these texts match very well with his own musical temper, temperament. I don't know what, what if you agree with me.
1: Oh, yes, indeed. I think the idea of referring to his music not so much as simply uh, sacred music, but indeed a liturgical drama is a very apt way of putting it, but also something that's got a very long tradition going back even to the medieval period. Um, but it is true, as you say, to just try to sing Gesualdo's music for the first time, it's almost impossibly difficult because there's always a, a twist or a return at an unexpected corner. And it really makes me wonder who exactly was able to sing this in his time. And it's one of the mysteries we still do not know. The context it was sung in, it was probably for the Cappuccini uh, Church in Gesualdo, but we don't know much about the performers. How they rehearsed, and if indeed that difficulty the strangeness is about expressing the pathos the drama of the uh, holy Week liturgy, so I do think that's a that's a very good point you bring up
0: yes I, and also uh, uh, uh some people uh say that uh, even if he was uh, uh quite respected also for from some other composer at this time. The real uh, Gesualdo uh, Renaissance was probably in the past century, you now where uh, many uh, more scholars start to study him, and uh, as I mentioned before, also composers as Stravinsky uh, made composition in his honor, and uh, so. Um, uh, and some people think that he was a sort of. Uh, Anticipation of the, you know, the modern music uh, or, or things like that, but that, that I don't know uh, uh, how much is accurate to say like that because uh, uh, that is a little troublesome. But uh, um, do, uh, respect the, the the scholarship in the twentieth uh, century. Uh, in this twenty-first uh, century, uh, what do you think is the place? of the uh, music of Giswaldo, Do you think that he's still uh, very regarded or you think that maybe he's, uh, I, I don't know, not, not, not so studied as before? Oh, well, you raise a host
1: of issues there and I have many answers. Let me try to work backwards first because you asked firstly about Gisualdo's Renaissance and which is a long story, and then you ask also as well, what does he mean to this day? I've thought a lot about that because um, the study of Renaissance music is ever-changing. Under the current context, as you and I know very well, we need to do much better about incorporating uh, non-Western, a non-Eurocentric approach to the study of music history. And therefore, Giswaldo now actually needs to find a place in China, in Hong Kong, in Macau, and there his reception will be vastly different from how it is in Italia, in America. And we have to tell the story differently, maybe connecting Gesualdo's story to Chinese history now so that he can enter into a country whose population adores Western classical music, was cut off from it for a period, but knows actually very little about Palestrina and Giswaldo. In part because they observe uh, a different religious practice, and the place of religion, as you know much better than me, uh, has a different re- religion has a different relationship to the state than it does in in, uh, in, in our country. Yep. So we have to take that into account too when we tell Giswaldo's story. But what I fundamentally hope to raise in one of my uh, upcoming articles, in telling Giswaldo's uh, honor killing from a Christian perspective, we also need to tell the story bearing in mind that this heinous practice continues to this day. So anytime we talk about Giswaldo and his story about that awful killing and his crazy sounding music, we need to do it in such a way that we are trying to discourage and change the practice where some of the religions in the world to this day still condone, still allow the killing of one's wife and with people caught in an affair. So we have to tell it um, such that we're actually almost becoming activists, as it were, to try to put an end to this. So I'm trying to reach out to some people that's that specialize in uh, what we call domestic violence or family violence and thinking how we can stage this story again in, in a new way to, to try to prevent these things from happening.
0: But uh, if you allow me, I, I just want to make a little comment. Uh, on on this because I think it's important. Of course, I uh, also uh, condemn uh, uh, people that kill wife or husband uh, or whatever, or or domestic violence. Of course, uh, this is horrible, but uh, we uh, should, uh, because I think uh, 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 there are some people that make confusion. We should not think that uh, honor uh Because before you call uh, delitto d'onore, no, in Italian, so honor killing, but we we should not think that honor is a bad thing, because indeed honor is a good thing, mm. uh and uh, uh, so uh, what Giswaldo did and other many other people after before Giuseppe uh, did is to to kill someone to preserve the honor, and of course we know that. Uh, is wrong to kill someone, but it's not wrong to care about your honor, because the honor is something important. So uh, I think this is uh, um, uh, important to understand. Also, a little to, uh, I mean, to not, not to condone, but to justify what Gisualdo did, that Gisualdo did not kill the wife for fun. But because, for as you say before, for the uh, rule of the of of his time, that was necessary to preserve the honor. So, in in that sense, uh, of course, uh, as you say, you know, it, it, there is a sort of. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that uh, you will deal with this in your article. Now, there is this sort of struggle between uh, the, the, your. Uh, one uh, Christian belief, but also uh, some values that are considered important, and especially if you are a a prince. Uh, I mean, a prince in his time was not a prince today. And I I think, uh, I'm sorry if I say this, but uh, I think that for a European, it's probably easier to understand this than for an American, because uh, you, you don't have like this kind of nobility, so you 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 don't know what is uh, a count or prince. Uh, Many you know, but you never live. I mean, I also uh, I, I I not only live, but I I meet some of them. But uh, of course, you meet them now. They 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 get their title, but just that. But before, they were the the, the leadership. You know, they they were the the, the people that have power, money, uh, that they decide uh, life and death. So uh, it was very different to be a prince in the time of Gisualdo than being a prince today.
1: Oh, yes, I think you put this very well. And it's something I have trouble not only understanding, but even just working through coming to Italia as an American who is interested, but as you say, from a very different culture, even though we have roots and we have Italian uh, immigrants that have been here since, you know, the 1800s. And there is just this big difference. It is not a coincidence that in the literature written in English, whether in the country England or America and Canada, etc., that nobody recognized Jesualdo's murder, in quotation marks, as an honor killing. Indeed, that distinction had to be made by Italian scholars. And even to this day, it's not very clear in English writing. We still see people referring to Giswaldo as a murderer saying, oh, that's a crime. Well, Italian law was very different. Even to the 1980s, you were allowed to, with a lesser punishment, to maintain one's honor. Yes. but the so it's very clear now, thanks to many of the Italian scholars, that this distinction in honor and nobility is different from our modern conception of it and indeed our modern Western conception across the Atlantic Ocean. But at the same time, I agree with you that Giswaldo was not only maintaining his honor, he needed to. He was almost shall we say required. By the code of honor of his time, to kill his wife, there was no question about it. Only a Christian concern, because there was very many theological debates of course. about oh, the problems of course. with this, and yes. that's the, the dilemma that I'm afraid we will have to wrestle and debate, just yes. as he had to in his mind.
0: But but also uh, we we need to consider that uh, if the why uh, was the wife was unfaithful it means the the hair. Can be not his uh, real sons, so that for you know a noble family it means uh, that have many properties and things. So th- there were many things involved. So I- I- I'm not justifying this world, well, but I just want the people to understand that what he did, that of course we find reproachable today with our own mentality. And I agree with you, but in his own time was something that uh, was uh, justifiable uh, under many uh, circumstances and point of view. So, so I, I, to conclude our uh, pleasant talk, I, I want to ask you, you uh, mentioned about an article you are writing. So, uh, can you just tell us uh, uh, if you have already um, an idea where this article will be published, when will be published? Uh, for what kind of uh, ma- magazine, uh, journal, can you tell us?
1: Sure, the, the next one coming out will be on this topic and it will be with the Journal of the Royal Musical Association, okay. which is in Cambridge uh, Press in England. Again, I chose to submit it there in part because they're slightly better connected to this history than if I were to say submit it to the American Musicological Journal. So I want to make sure it's positioned there. And I think it should be published within this next coming year, but you know with these COVID and everybody is so overworked, it may take another year or even two. Academic publishing is very slow, but I would encourage uh, uh, anyone listening, if they'd like to discuss this or perhaps read some excerpts, take issue in advance, they're always welcome to uh contact me uh over email uh as people do share their their work in it in advance of publication in accordance with the rules of course uh but that will be with the uh the RMA uh society's journal in the the next coming year
0: okay so thank you we we of course uh, are looking forward to uh, know what are your findings about uh, this uh, uh, very peculiar composer, that I hope uh, with our discussion uh, we we were able to raise some interest uh, in our uh, listeners. That's because uh, indeed is very uh, uh, very interesting, and as uh, Jeffrey suggests uh, today with the YouTube, you can just go there and write the name. Uh, uh, Carlo Gesualdo, Prince of Venosa, or, and you will really be very surprised to hear something that uh, probably is not uh, what you expect uh, from uh, Renaissance music, but still very interesting. So uh, I hope you will have the occasion. So I want to thank uh, uh, Jeffrey for his time and for sharing with me and with our listeners. Uh, uh, his own uh, studies about uh, Gesualdo and of course I, I look forward to have him uh, in one of our next uh, podcasts and I thanks also everyone that uh, will listen to this podcast. Uh, I want to remind you that if you want more content or also ex- 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 sorry exclusive content you can go and sign our newsletter that is uh, um, Cantus C A N T U S dot uh, Substack dot com, and there you will have also articles and you will have uh, uh, scores and there is uh, uh, there are two plans or indeed three plans uh, founding members that uh, uh, pay I think uh, uh, two hundred ten dollars per year and they get everything. And then we have uh, uh, the paying member. And, uh, and now there is a, a special offer. It's 10% uh, discounted. So please go there. and, uh, and But this, there is also a place for free uh, subscribers. So uh, I hope to see every one of you there. And thank you, uh, Jeffrey, for your participation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to everyone. And bye-bye.